This is another bottle down on Co-op Radio, KOOP Hornsby, Austin, 91.7 FM, and KOOP.org. I'm your host, Mark Rayshap, here to appreciate wines from all over the world and to talk with Austin's leading wine professionals, from winemaker to sommelier and everyone in between. Now it's time to put another bottle down. Good afternoon, Austin. Thank you so much for tuning in. We've got a wonderful show for you today. We talk wine for an hour every Tuesday from 1 to 2 p.m. Try and highlight really interesting wine folks who have, are passing through the Austin area and also the uh, wonderful folks who, who, who guide our restaurants and create our local food and, uh, and our local dining scene. So today we're going to be interviewing Adam Orman, who is managing partner and front of the house of Locadoro, a wonderful Italian restaurant here in the Mueller development. Then we've got some more surprises later on in the show, so uh, stay tuned. Okay, thank you so much. 102 in the capital city, and we have a wonderful show for you today. So uh, we have live in the studio Adam Orman, who is... With Locadoro, he is a founding manager partner, does the front of the house stuff, he, he buys the wine. Adam, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Mark. Yeah, it's, it's wonderful. The, the, the restaurant has been garnering a lot of attention, I think, and, and you guys are doing wonderful things. Um, can you paint us a little bit of a picture, what the, what the vibe is, and, and uh, it's also aesthetically beautiful. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, the press has been uh, very nice to us in the last in the last year. We opened in mid June. Um, have gotten a handful of best new restaurant awards. Yeah. Just uh, just appeared on Texas Monthly's best new restaurants in Texas yeah. list, which came out. Congratulations! This month. Um, yeah, which is great. And um, my partner Fiore uh, Tedesco is the chef, and we've been working together for about four years. Yeah. Um, we started doing supper clubs and pop ups, uh, working. Uh, doing a dinner series out of Franklin barbecue yeah. where he was working at the time in 2013. And, um, we wanted to land in Mueller because it's a neighborhood and that's really what we wanted to be as a right. neighborhood Italian restaurant. Uh, we wanted to have families. We wanted to, uh, we wanted to have people walking in. We really wanted to court regulars. And is that just your style or is that kind of the whole concept around, uh, you know, the, the Italian bistro sort of thing? I think it meshes well with yeah. with both. I mean, it's it's the reason that both of us wanted to open this kind of restaurant, um, something that would be um, accessible but um, a little bit progressive. We're not the Italian we're not the Italian American restaurant of the nineteen fifty uh, you know mid American <laughs> menu. Um, we shy away from. Lots of cheese. Uh, we make all our own pasta, so it's made from heirloom grains that we mill daily, and um, so it's much uh, more nutrient-rich, whole grain, um, uh, better for you, better for better for the environment, and so on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and how did that? How did that come about? I mean, that was always the concept, or did you start um, as you were doing the supper club, uh, uncovering these really interesting heirloom varieties, or has it been just a, a, a work in progress as far as getting deeper to the source? 
That would be a, a question that I know Fiore would answer in more depth, but I know right. it ha it's happened over the last five years. I mean, that uh, uh, while he's been here, this is something, those are things that have become a lot more accessible. I think we've learned a lot more about, um, about wheat and gluten um, and, right. and what the better varieties and the can do. And if you're getting the wheat, if you're getting the berries in and grinding them yourself, then they're much more fresh. They still maintain a lot of their nutrients as opposed to buying flour where it's, you know, in the process of rotting right. basically. Right. Um, so, uh, yeah, so we wanted to be able to provide that for our customers, be able to be a neighborhood restaurant in 2000 with a, in 2017, um, which means the menu needed to reflect that the menu needed to be doing all of the things that people expect from, uh, from a good restaurant now, locally sourced organic vegetables, right. sustainably raised, uh, animals, um, and more or less everything made in house. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and, and do you see, I mean, and it's not just to do that, to, to, to have it as a marketing piece that that's what a, a, a top restaurant should be doing. I mean, you see an actual flavor difference, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, um, a flavor difference, a mouthfeel difference. Um, if you really want to highlight the pasta and not the sauce, this is the way that you need to make it. If you want to, uh, bread is the same way. I mean, uh, we make all our, we make all our breads in house from those same grains. Um, and they're richer, they're more satisfying. Right. Um, you don't need to eat as much because yeah. uh, they're more filling. Right. Um, so yeah, it, it, it is, a, it is a combination. I want to talk about your bread for just a second because, um, you have, the coolest contraption that you grill the bread on it's uh, there's an open wood fire right there in the kitchen and and it's an open kitchen too so you, so folks can really see everything going on and then in the corner you've got this uh, it can be a very large fire, right? That you have then a grate that can be um, uh, levered down and closer to the flame or higher up, uh, depending. It's the coolest thing, and and then so you grill the, the bread on that, and it and it has this you know, smoky wood flavor, it's, which is really comforting. Yeah. I've, we've had customers say that so much, so much of our food touches the grill. Um, mm. and it's based on kind of an Argentine plancha, uh, Argentine grill, uh, asador. So that's yeah. where that crank comes from. And Fury, uh, d helped design it. Uh, so it was custom built and, cool. um, we use oak, uh, live oak and post oak. And so much of our food touches the grill that we've had customers say like that that is our that is our flavor the signature because yeah. they they'll taste it in the mushrooms they'll taste it on the bread they'll taste it on the fish and just these like that sneaky bit of smoke right uh, will carry across the whole menu yeah. we when we went in when we walked into the space for the first time before it was built and it was just a glass glass and concrete and we thought how are we gonna build a hearth. Yeah. <laughs> in here. How are we going to make And that was necessary it? from that. That was, that was absolutely, absolutely. necessary. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, what are we going to do so that when people walk in, they feel, yeah, they feel the, they feel what we want them to feel. And that's the first thing you see when you walk in, you walk into the bar area and right behind the bar is the kitchen with this big fire. Yeah. Yeah. Did that come from your time at Franklin at all? I mean, um, you know, I feel like that because he's always a, a big oak, uh, always oak uh, Aaron Franklin's barbecue, and so I wonder if that that fed into into that. I'm sure you know the last four places that Fiori's worked have worked with open flame from uh, Roberta's 
in Brooklyn, Gramercy Tavern, yeah. uh, and then here at Franklin and at Bufalina. So he just got used to fire in lots of, <laughs> using fire to create lots of different things. Right. How, how did the dynamic between you two, how did you meet and, 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 you know, the dynamic seems really cool and it seems almost old school. Whereas, you know, he's, he's the chef, obviously he's in control of the back of the house and then you're in charge of the front of the house. Um, and, and, you know, did that, has that, that relationship always been very comfortable? It has. Yeah. yeah uh, we met, um, conveniently because of our kids, uh, it was at a party. We had mutual friends and we all have kids the same age. And he heard me talking about restaurants. I was not working in a restaurant at the time and he had moved here not that long ago and wanted to start up a supper club that he'd been doing in Brooklyn and needed somebody to run the front of the house. Uh, and at the time I thought, yeah, I can work. I can work one day every two weeks. Right. Um, <laughs> I'm only taking care of, you know, um, I'm just taking care of my kids. It'll be a nice night off. Right. Um, right. And that has evolved into working all day, every day. Right. Um, right. Which is good such at this is, point. Such is the restaurant business. Right. Right. Um, well, you know, back to that dynamic. It's so, he has such a really cool presence. Um, and I, you know, I always love sitting at the bar at restaurants and kind of seeing what goes on behind the scenes. And he's kind of there almost predicting, you know, anything that can go wrong, or if somebody's not doing something, you know, perfectly correct, or, um, and he's, he's, I think, imposing without being uh, maybe scary to his other, you know, chefs, uh, they might disagree. But, but, you know, he's, I saw him a few times make a little correction. And it's, it's somewhat, you know, in, in a kind way. <laughs> good, good. It should be. And I think it is. Yeah. Um, he is, he is not um, the knife throwing right, imperious right, right. chef that you see on TV. <laughs> right. Right. And in, and I'm sure some restaurants around town as well. Um, so you, you do the wine list and you've been in charge of the wine list for, for a while. And, uh, you come from a background of, uh, crafting a lot of wine lists, right? Did you, uh, or, or working in some places that, that had some pretty interesting and robust, um, wine lists. So, Talk a little bit to that as far as did you have kind of a concept going in? What, what do you think about when, you know, you're taking on a new wine or um, give us a little insight there? Uh, I've gotten really lucky from I've, I've been doing this for 20 years. And yeah. the first couple of restaurants that I worked at in the, the first had an All-American list starting back in the mid 90s, uh, which was um, a pretty big deal at the time, right. late nineties. And then went to a place that had, uh, a Alsatian and, uh, and this French is all in San list. Francisco, right? New, this, this, was is, in New York. this is in New York. Okay. Um, and then went to a place that had an all Spanish list wow. and then worked at a restaurant in San Francisco that had about 1200 bottle list of mostly California of, of a lot of California and really high end, um, Super Tuscan, Bordeaux, right. and a, you know, uh, that, that style of list. And then to a small bistro in San Francisco that had a, uh, uh, much more cult California selection. And, and then I got to go, got to work at a wine store, uh, for about two and a half years in San Francisco that had, um, um you know, and then you're getting to taste three, four times a day with vendors and their the retail whole component and is a great educational experience. You get introduced to so much more so quickly. Um, and I think, uh, and you know, and you get to play with, you get to play with all the wine and right, look at right, it every right. day. And, um, so 
I knew, um, and at the same time I was working at another restaurant in San Francisco that had an all Italian list. Right. Um, so I developed a taste for sure. I knew what it was that I liked. Um, I knew that I liked things that on the one hand, I liked a lot of wines that were really embellished. It, it, um, showed their typicity, right. but I also was getting excited about the oddballs and the stuff that was just exciting and vibrant and lively and right. surprising. Um, and I like to, uh, and I've always worked in a, in a, with wine in a restaurant context. So right. I really wanted wine. I've always wanted to build lists that go with food. Fiori's yeah. food is very light. I think, um, we don't have a whole lot of red meat on the menu. Right. Uh, there's not a whole lot of, uh, fat. There's not a lot of dairy. Um, so, and so, so, and, and then from a wine pairing, uh, perspective, you know, with those, with those bigger dishes and fatty and, you know, uh, you need bigger wines and more tannin. And, um, so you get to play with like maybe a little bit more elegant wines to, to accompany the food. Yeah. And, um, which, which falls into, you know, I mean, what I like to eat and what I like to drink. Right. Um, more acidity, um, brighter fruit, pro brighter profiles. Um, and then a lot of savory wines. Um, you know, we definitely steer clear of high alcohol and high sugar and, um, cause they just won't, there's right. just not, there's just not the, not nothing to eat right, right. <laughs> on the menu. That well, I, I think, and so, so, so let's kind of touch on that a little bit because I think folks listening out there might think, oh, savory wines, does that, that doesn't kind of sound, uh, can you kind of, uh, describe that in a little bit more depth? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's looking for wines that have herbaceous notes. Um, it's like dried green herbs, yeah. uh, wines that sometimes have meaty notes that have uh, gaminess about them, um, that you'll see in some, uh, some Southern French or right. some, um, um, uh, you know, spice qualities, vegetal qualities, Cabernet Franc appears right. in, uh, we had four, we only have a list of about 40 wines. And at one point we had four Cabernet Franc on the list. Cause I just, and they were all very different, but they all have great bell peppery qualities, great black pepper qualities, um, whites that have, you know, these ginger notes and, um, um, spice components as yeah. opposed to fruit and oak. Right, right, right. Which is what you see maybe with um, some of the more mass-produced California producers and, and whatnot. Um, do, so, so wonderful. I mean, what, what are, you know, you're, you, you talk about this retail background and working in a ton of restaurants. Um, the, the, obviously, the food is Italian. And, and we should say, for folks listening out there who wanted uh, to, to dig in a little bit more, your website is locadoro, D-O-R-O, L-O-C-A-D-O-R-O, Austin.com. Yes. <laughs> Locadoro. We didn't do ourselves any favors. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that in a second, but, but, um, you know, but it's an Italian restaurant, of course. And, uh, but you didn't feel kind of a pressure to do a hundred percent Italian wines. Uh, there, there's wines from kind of all over and that w was that intentional or was there, you know, um, and, and the cuisine is not a, a, of a particular region in Italy. So, you know, you can, you have a little bit more freedom to, to play around. Yeah. I, initially, um, I mean, that's sort of what I was getting, sort of what I was getting to with, um, 
the style that I developed and then mashing it with his cuisine, I was looking for like what I started to just, what I think of as sort of a Mediterranean profile. So Southern Italian, um, Sicilian, Southern French, um, uh, Greek. There's a lot of Greek wines that pair really, that that work really well and tend to be high acid and go really well with this, this kind of, that kind of cuisine. Right. Light sauces and seafood and grilled, um, you know, definitely things that pair well with, with grills. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it stayed mostly, uh, old world. Right. Um, but we're, we're probably equal parts French and Italian at this point. Right. There's just, there's just too much good French wine. Right. And then it, right, you, you can't ignore that delicious French wine. <laughs> what, and so you've, um, and and I will say also, I, when I was looking at your list, I was very happy to see that uh, it was concise. I mean, one of the a couple of the things that I you know really like to see is is a, a more concise list. I mean, it's very easy to have you know twelve hundred bottles uh, and just kind of slot a lot no, of things not. in. <laughs> it's, it's very hard. But but the but yeah. the, this this idea that you have to really really vet them and um, you know you're you are with a smaller list you're making a, more of a statement about each wine, and so um, was that, how did you know is that the exciting thing or is that just a matter of these are the wines or you know it, is it very conscious to to be concise and somewhat of a small. We're not, I mean, yes, um, we want to spend all the money on the, uh, on all of that and everything that it takes to make all the pasta, make all the cheese, make all the meat. And so carrying, so, I mean, purely practically carrying a large inventory is not in the cards Uh, for us. Um, we don't have the space right? and, uh, and you know, it's, uh, um, it just doesn't make sense. Um, we push the. Uh, wines on tap uh-huh. yeah, so that we can have a really affordable option. And this goes along with being a neighborhood restaurant and, um, and kind of being in that trattoria mold. Yeah. Um, we always have. And, and from a restaurant standpoint, I mean that the wines on tap limits uh, waste and, and, a, and a lot of things. I mean, those are all really good things for a neighborhood bistro. Yes. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, and, and it means that we have a couple of affordable things. You can just come in, get a carafe, get a half carafe mm-hmm. for, I think a pretty good, uh, for yeah. an amount of money. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, the- uh, um, and then the rest of the list is, um, is you hit, you hit the targets and you can't hit all the targets at once. No, no. Um, and, um, but you don't have to, yeah. Uh, Nobody needs, uh, I don't know. Maybe it comes from going out to dinner with my wife and her knowing that when we went to a restaurant that had a book that she was going to lose me for seven or eight minutes. (laughs) And, um, cause even if I knew what I wanted, I still needed to, I still needed to leave through the whole thing. Right. Of course. Um, I can't miss the same way. Yeah. So this way it's all on one page, you know, there's probably about 15, yeah. 15 whites and reds by the bottle, a handful of sparkling, a handful of rosés and orange wines. And, um, 
can you uh, give us a, a little bit of a preview, some of the wines that you find most exciting, uh, some of the ones that kind of touch you personally? I know that we were talking before the show about a Lambrusca that, that you really love. Um, you know, these, these wines that, that um, people might be hesitant to explore, uh, but then in the right setting with kind of the right explanations of their servers and then also paired with the right foods, it can just be like this, wow, I didn't know Lambrusco could be so cool. <laughs> yeah, that one I'm really happy is doing as well as it is. Um, it's um, When I got it, I looked in my old wine Bible and talked to the staff about it. And I said, look, this was written, this was the edition that was that came out in the early 2000s. And she says, uh, you can't find old vintage Lambrusco. You can't find it traditionally made. And right. very little artisanal Lambrusco makes it out of Italy. And this is all three of those things. Right, right, it's a 2009 right. Lambrusco, only, which is only a decade later. A 2009 Lambrusco made in the classic, made a uh, method champenoise. Right. Um, you know, hand-picked grapes and all-natural winemaking from right. a brilliant producer, um, yeah. and um, and we pour it by the glass, and it's it's delicious. I mean, it has the bright uh, that bright red raspberry fruit up front. It's right. got really great acidity. It's um, it's uh, frizzante, so it, it full sparkle and right. um, it pairs well with charcuterie. Salami and Lambrusco is just a that is a a match made way to start absolutely. Um, I love our Sicilian whites. Yeah, Uh, we have an Etna Bianco. We have two Etna Biancos. One is uh, mostly Insolia from the Occupinti clan, Mm -hmm. Um, and then another is from a a gentleman Antonio Benanti, and that one is uh, predominantly Catarato. So you know grapes that. You're gonna to have to buy into. Um, right, right. These are not grapes. You don't know you, them, but right. but uh, and we will we'll actually hear from uh, Antonio Benanti uh, next week. I, I did a sh- very short interview with him uh, at the Slow Wine Tasting, which happened yesterday, and um, and he's got some really interesting insights on Sicilian wine. So I'm glad that you. I hope he also told you where to shop for sweaters. <laughs> He is a very dapper man. Um, we, we will. Unfortunately, I don't have a picture with him, yeah. uh, but uh, because I think he would he would overshadow me too much. Um, he was great. So, so but that's see, great. Yeah. So what you see from those from those Sicilian whites is um, there's uh, especially Insolia and Catarato are uh, full bodied. Um, they have a wonderful brininess, oiliness to them. They have uh, they have different fruit profiles for sure, but um, uh, the the volcanic soil that shows through so clearly on reds also lends this just uh, mineral backbone right, right. to the whites. That when you pair that with white with the uh, with the almost tropical fruit profile, yeah, just creates something so cool and. You know, then you eat it with, then you drink it with grilled, uh, grilled fish or a seafood pasta and both things, you know, uh, both things complement each other. Highlight one of the reds. So a a red that you're Um, really excited about? Yeah, we just brought in, so we just brought in our first Austrian red, um, uh, Klaus Preisinger's uh, uh, Basic. Um, and it's 50% Zweigelt, 50 Blaufrankisch. Yeah. And when you're talking about one of the savory, uh, savory wine, oh, man. um, this one has, uh, it has, uh, nice black fruit up front, right. but then it evolves into, uh, b- uh baking spice yeah. and, um, 
and and then like time, probably time and, time and, and, and yeah, yeah. Uh, time and rosemary and um, and again great acidity medium bodied so right. it's a great weight it can go with we have a we get in a we get in a whole pig just about every week and that's the base of the the foundation of of the menu so um, you know we'll have pork chops and pork milanesa and we make our own sausage and then we do all the charcuterie right. and what better to have with pork than Austrian red. Absolutely. Whenever yeah. I talk about pairing with, with customers or with, with, uh, with staff, it usually is like, go back to, go back to Europe. Think about what is it that I'm eating and where is that food generally right. eaten? Right. Is it, if it's, if it's, uh, 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 you know, braised pork. Well, they do that a lot in Germany and sure. Austria. What do they drink in Germany and Austria? That's right. what I want to drink. <laughs> um, that, and, and I had, um, some some uh, pork belly ravioli, which was which was amazing, and those and those a little bit lighter and savory um, wines, because when you start throwing a really rich and savory meat into a pasta, it's almost like, uh oh, where do we go? Do we, do we go a more full bodied white or or kind of a lighter, racier red? And and I think that that would would go super well. Yeah, and what you drank was the Grignolino. Oh from yes, of course, Piedmont. Yeah, and um, which again. And regionally makes so much sense is you've got a braised pork belly pasta with uh, that's finished with like a mustard and butter and uh, with a with a um, a butternut uh, a sweet potato mustarda. Right. So right, it's got right. a little sweetness. It's got a little bit of the mustard and, and the and acidity from the mustard too. I thought was super cool. Tons of layers of flavors. Thank you. Yeah. Um, but uh, and that sounds exact. That sounds like a ver- a, a version of something that you would see in northern Italy, where right. where the food is. Um, more focused on pork and butter, uh, pork and dairy, and and, right. and richer pastas. So you're drinking a wine from Piedmont, which is yeah, right there. And Grignolino is deceiving because it's a little bit of a it's a lighter color red, shade red. So you think it'll be a little bit more elegant, but then packs a fair amount of punch with tannin and and has has some grip to it. So it's super cool wine. It's a it's a it's it's definitely in the category of uh, wine nerd uh, kinds of wines, I think. <laughs> yeah, and if you ever see one, buy it because it's it uh, and not that uh, from us. And because um, they're all good, there yeah. are only yeah. there are so few Grenolinas that make it into the states. Right. Um, so you can pretty much always be sure that. They are there. It's going to be a. It's a. It is a quality bottle. Cool. Uh, we, we're we've got a few minutes left, and I would. I, I want to talk to you about what you're doing on kind of the sustainability for the uh, restaurant industry, uh, and that you know you you have a mandatory you know percentage that goes to the staff. So gratuity is is not uh, optional, <laughs> maybe. Right. And 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 that is to be sustainable in uh, as far as uh, the your your employees go, right? That has evolved. We have always uh, we were always committed to paying above the sub minimum wage. Right. Um, we survived at the restaurants that I worked at in California paying nine dollars an hour and now i think now i think it's twelve dollars an hour and came up with creative ways to pull it off now i think they have to provide health care as well for depending on the size of the restaurant in california so when we were going to open a place here i knew that we wanted to set that standard um so everyone in the front of the house is paid above the federal minimum wage um whereas most restaurant employees in Texas are paid two twenty three an hour right right. um and work for tips uh we also 
include gratuity on the check. Right. So we're we're making sure that everyone in the restaurant has a higher floor. Right. Um, in this way, we know that they are working for us right. and not working for their tip, right. not working for the customer. Um, that's when I feel like an employee develops a bad relationship with their employer when they know that what's really important is the customer because that's who's paying their rent. Right, right. Absolutely. Um, in this case, we are paying, in this case, we've, we've turned that on its head. Right. Uh, the second part of that is that we have to include it as a mandatory gratuity or a service charge in order to distribute some of that to the kitchen um, to make sure that they are also right. getting, um, getting paid at least $14 an hour. Right. Um, the labor law in Texas requires labor in Texas requires that if it's a voluntary gratuity, it stay with the front of the house, which I understand. You want to make sure that employers aren't taking t- that. aren't taking tips. Uh, yes, but if it's uh, if it's a mandatory gratuity or a service charge, then the restaurant can distribute it as it sees fit. So that's another reason that we pay the right. front of the house the way we do, so that they will be willing to share. With and the and back it's a of the team house. effort. Right, exactly, and, and yeah. then the back, and then the kitchen is also incentivized to provide good service. Right, they're in, they're at the bar. They're, you know, you can they're see part them. Of the you can front talk of the house to them too, almost. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So they get to chat with people at the bar occasionally, sure. and they also know that what they do affects their bottom line. Sure, the you know, if they're on point that night and they're making their best food and they're keeping their timing, then our service is better. Right. Um, and and we're a pet restaurant and they're getting they're they're seeing the benefit of that in their paychecks it's very cool and is this uh a part of a a, a national movement is is in you're, you're going to be traveling upcoming to to be part of this discussion there's a yes there's a group uh roc united restaurant opportunities center and they are they have been lobbying for better standards in restaurant uh in the better employment standards in the restaurant industry for year for several years yeah we are one of only two restaurants in Austin I believe only two restaurants in Texas that are a member but there are hundreds in uh, other parts of the country and um, they signed uh, we signed a letter to the president asking for some clarity on the immigration issue because obviously there are so many uh, there's so much uh, there's so many people of all all manner of immigrants involved in the in the hospitality industry and we um, they are on, there's a tremendous amount of uncertainty. Right. Right. Um, and from that, all those restaurants, any restaurant that signed on was declared a sanctuary restaurant, which just means, um, that we are, uh, we are following the law, right. But we are not going to turn over paperwork, right. Uh, unnecessarily. We are not going to, we are going to protect the people who work for us. Right. Um, we're going to do everything that we're supposed to do. We are not going to be hiring undocumented workers, but we're also, uh, not going to be a party to their discrimination. Right. Well, I mean, that's, and, um, so pertinent and such a such an important role that 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 the industry is going to be having to stand up for. for I hope so. You know, we for, need a lot more restaurants folks. to yeah, yeah join in. Is do you know offhand of a, a website uh, for more information about that organization? Rocunited.org, R-O-C and then United. the offshoot is Raise R A I S E, okay. uh, and that is um, 
another organization that they that they run awesome well i'm gonna uh i'm gonna post those uh those links on on the co-op blog here and uh and also links to your website locadoro um we've adam we've run out of time and uh thank you so much for coming into the co-op studios and doing what you're doing and keep up with the good work i know it's it's hard to to put out amazing food and and uh, service every you know every night. So it's hard to run a radio show every week <laughs> for an hour. We talk about wine for an hour every week. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> hey, Adam. Thank you so much. Uh, if you're just tuning in, this, my name is Mark Grayshop. This is another bottle down. Uh, we've just heard from Adam Orman from Locadoro, uh, and we're going to be back with. Um, Oh, with some with the wine events calendar, and also um, we are going to be hearing from some of the organizers from the Slow Wine Organization, and a whole lot more. So do stay tuned. Tuesday, January 31st, 2017, and it's time for the Wine Events Calendar. We have a really lively calendar of events in the coming weeks leading up to Valentine's Day. I hope you're getting ready. Tuesday, January 31st at 7 p.m., there will be a four-course pairings dinner at Andiamo featuring the wines of Lombardia. More information at andiamoitaliano.com. Also, Tuesday, January 31st, with Chapelet's master sommelier, Jay James, they'll be having a tasting at June's from 4 to 6, then a five-course pairings dinner at Jeffrey's. More information at jeffreysofaustin.com. February 4th, 3 p.m. at The Gatsby will be the Austin Music Curated Hill Country Wine Tasting. Several bands will be there pairing their music with local Texas wines. Monday, February 6th, at Bullfight, sommelier Paul Osborne will be giving a sherry class. He'll be digging into the history and styles with some tapas to be served alongside. And that does it for us today. If you have a wine-related groovy event that you would like mentioned on the calendar, email me at markrayshap at koop.org. Okay, we are back. Thank you so much for staying tuned. This is another bottle down on Co-op Radio, K-O-O-P, Hornsby Austin, 91.7 FM and K-O-O-P.org. Uh, we're joined in the studio today uh, uh, with Lasan Georgeson, who is putting on a wonderful event upcoming. She is calling it uh, Austin Music uh, Curated Hill Country Wine Tasting, right? Lasan, welcome to the, sh- to, the, to the co-op studios again. Awesome. Thanks, Mark. It's great to be here. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about the the event. We, we heard on the calendar that uh, it's happening February 4th at the Gatsby, right? Yes. And, um, you know, uh, so tell us about the event. Where did it come from? The wineries? Uh, you know, unfortunately, on, on nonprofit radio, we can't give a price or, you know, all that kind of uh, call to action stuff. But tell us about the event. Oh, the event, it's, it's rare. It's a unique event. So it's the first ever actual actual event that's a hill country tasting here for consumers. And me being a sommelier and actually a Texas wine convert, 
I'm super excited about the event. Yeah. <laughs> totally, because you couldn't have told me three years ago that I'd be talking about Texas wines. So, so, so you've been just tasting a, 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 an a increasingly of Texas and, wines. and better quality uh, well, around every corner? You hit the nail on the head. It's better quality and it's consistent quality. And so the purpose of this event is to invite other potential converts to appreciate what Texas wines have to offer. Because much like myself, people have transplanted and they have their Washington or their Oregon or whatever vineyards you're familiar with. But right. Texas has some glorious wines. Right. And so the goal was to create something that touches all senses. So it's not just about the wines. It's primarily right. about the Texas Hill Country wines right. and the local Texas music scene. Yeah. So so the concept is kind of to pair music along with these certain wines. You and bet. And so tell us about that process. Do, uh, you know, um, you kind of pair the, the, the energy of the music with certain you aspects bet. of the wine. Mark, yeah? you could do this better than I can. Absolutely. <laughs> it's all about elevating the senses. So cool. we think about wines. We think about visually. We think about nosing it. We think about tasting it. And then there's that sense that's often missing. And I think music, any kind of music, but particularly live music, throws out a different spin on what our senses are receiving. Right. And so this goal is to elevate all senses senses so that music that we've designed in terms of local musicians the bell sounds Ulrich Ellison and Tribe um, Graham Wilkinson they're designed specifically to express what that wine is doing right can we shall we we've got queued up a few songs so we can give a little taste right we should and then then you've tasked me to saying oh what 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 (laughs) wine would I pair with this (laughs) you betcha so I want to start with uh well I'm not going to tell you I'll tell you the band and you tell me which light, medium, full-body wine this might All right, play so to wh- which band do you want to start with? I want you to start with Graham Wilkinson. Okay, I really like that, that <laughs> tune. So <laughs> Good job. Um, so, so here we have it here, Graham Wilkinson. It's just another crack in the road. It's just another vision of good life I'm told till the scent runs cold and I chase memories like I I know it's it's killer to to, to kind of take that down, but um, we, we we're short on time, so um, you know the sentimenta- the sentimentality of that, and kind of the you know I would I would go with um, you know we want we want some kind of lighter bodied wine, but like with kind of a little racy grit to it. Um, you know I would go maybe Grenache or something like that, Ooh, something really totally that has some that. savory notes to oh it my. as well. But um, look at you! I don't know what. Uh, what so <laughs> what what would you pair with? Well, this? I love that you said Grenache or Ganache. I might say Ganache because there's a little more of that rustic element than yeah, Grenache, totally. right? Like, but I feel like the crack. In his voice, a crack in the song gives me a fuller bodied wine yeah. because our senses go there immediately soft, right. but yet he's got that crackly sound that just gives me depth. And I think of that as a fuller body Tempranillo or Ganacha. Okay. Yeah. All right. What are we going to do next? Let's go for the bell sounds. Bell sounds. Let's that would see. be Let me, uh, Okay. I can do that. I can do that. I think, I think the think. siren might be popping up for you there. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I try. 
Okay, so so that was the bell sounds and and the siren and um, I mean elegant, you know, super pretty. It's got to be Pinot Noir. Oh my god, <laughs> I love 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 that. Right on, and it could be Pinot Noir. It could even be a Pinot Grigio. It is light, lovely, pleasant, delicate. You yeah. hit the nail on the right. Yeah, it's right. light bodied loveliness. So how during the event? I mean, you're gonna have local bands going on, and is there gonna be somewhat of a of a you know, uh, curated sort of somebody um, emceeing? How, how, how is going to be the vibe? There's though? actually three of us. So okay. there are three different sommeliers. You should be there. But that being said, there are three. Ray Wilson is going to kick it off. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. She's going to be. the show. Yes, is she? Fantastic. She'll be heading up the light-bodied curation of the music. Okay. So when people hear that, it's like, whoa, that's all bell sounds. Because it's light-bodied yeah. wines, various different varietals. And then it'll be myself, I'm seeing the medium-bodied wines with Ulrich Ellison and Tribe, which we yet to hear, right? Yeah, shall, shall we do it? Let's, yeah, let's, go for it. Let's, let's, let's go give this a whirl. That is Ulrich Ellison and uh, his feet back on the ground, right? Right on. Okay, so crazy guitar riffs. Um, <laughs> you know what? What uh, here? I mean, it's got to be something, something really rocking. You know, you betcha. Something soulful, <laughs> yeah. right? I mean, I'm feeling soulful. Float me on. Just keep me harmonized, for sure. What do you think it is? Yeah. If you could choose a wine, you know that is. I would go, I think I would go Zinfandel, you know, yeah, ju just because it's got that, that juicy, you know, that, that, you know, something that you can, you know, really uh, sink your teeth into, mm. you know, something a little bit chewier. I love that. I absolutely <laughs> love that. We're not going to have that in Texas. Clearly Zinfandels are not going to be our world. Right, right, right. But I do like the idea because it has that, to me, Zinfandels has a soulfulness, but with an edge. Yeah. So I think I could feel that for sure with a Zinfandel. But I think we're going to find out what that goes with here in Texas. It wouldn't be a Zinfandel. Okay. Well, sure well but, but so, so it will be unveiled uh, at the event. At the event. So again, 3 p.m. at the Gatsby on February 4th, right? Uh, I'm sorry, 5 p.m.? 3 and 5. You're exactly 3 right. and 5. There'll be kind of two, two showings. Correct. Wow. Two different concerts, two different curated and wine And more tastings. information is there kind of, it's the Facebook page would be the, the place to go? Facebook page is right on. Or Eventbrite. Okay, Eventbrite. The tickets are so, right there. Yeah. So um, it would be, I guess, Facebook.com and then Austin Music Curated Hill Country Wine Tasting. I'm sure a search will bring it up. Lasan Georgeson, thank you so much for coming to the co-op studios. Mark, thank this was, you. This was really fun. Uh, I, had, I had a blast uh, pairing these, these tunes. And you did well, I might say. Okay, great. So, well, well done, you. <laughs> <laughs> well, good luck with the event and keep us posted on future events and, okay. and all that you're doing. Thank you, Mark. All right. Well, folks, we have to take another short break, and we'll be right back with uh, some of the organizers from the Slow Wine Tasting that was held yesterday in Austin. All right. We're back. We had a lot of fun there. Um, we're going to delve into 
a a really uh, important uh, theme in wine or, or an organization who is highlighting re- wineries that are in Italy that are doing a, a an amazing job that they are pertaining to the, the slow food principles. Uh, they had a humongous trade tasting here in Austin yesterday, um, and I, I was in attendance. I got a fair amount of audio from the event, and over the next couple of weeks, I'll be highlighting various producers, and I tried to uh, tap into some of the regions that were a little bit lesser known, uh, because that's kind of what I'm all about. And uh, I, I caught up with the organizers, and uh, they gave us a little bit of an intro as to what slow wine actually is, the philosophies pertaining. Um, and so the organizers, Giancarlo and Jonathan, and then they were joined also by wine writer, and especially with an Italian focus, his name is Jeremy Parzin. Uh, he has a blog called Dobianchi. Uh, let's jump into the interview. Well, first, I'd like to start by talking about what the values of the Slow Wine Guide are and uh, how you go about putting together this group of wineries. And we're here at the Slow Wine Industry Tasting in Austin, Texas. Giancarlo? Yes, we, we think that it's very important not only what, uh, what to do you can uh, find in, in the glass, but for us it's very important that uh, you can find outside the glass. So. Uh, Slow Wine is the only guide in Italy, but probably in the world, that visit all the wineries that uh, uh, mm, that uh, you can find in the guide. Uh, for us, it's very important because so we can talk about the wineries after the visit. And um, sure, we we make also the blind tasting, but but for us, it's very important to know better the how the wineries. Uh, work to, to, to produce the wines. So not only do you taste, but then you visit the wineries and make sure that they are, are, are abiding by the procedures that, and, and the values of, of slow wine. Yes, first step is the visit and after the tasting with the producer and after we make a, a lot of blind tasting with a, a lot of people that work for Slow Food, 200 and more people. Uh, so it's a very big team. And uh, we, we talk about the, the values of, uh, of slow wine, that uh, for us is very important the, how they produce the wine, so how they, they grow the, the grape uh, without uh, chemical or uh, with less uh, use of chemical. And uh, also the, the, the wine that uh, they speak about the terroir, so the, the, the country that uh, they grow the, the grapes. So when you taste Sangiovese, you, you have to, to taste uh, a real Sangiovese, not uh, a Sangiovese that you can find in New Zealand or uh, Napa or another part of the, the world. It's very important to, to taste the wine and the wine have to speak the, the language of the, the country that uh, you can... Uh, you, that, that is where is produced. And Jeremy, you've been writing about Italy and Italian wine for so many years. Your blog, Dubianchi, is uh, one of the uh, great resources. Um, do you think that this guide kind of reflects what's really well what's going on in Italy at the moment? Well, thanks so much for the generous uh, introduction. And so psyched that this tasting is here again in Texas, in Austin, as a Texan, as an American, as a Texan. As an Italophile wine lover, just like so exciting that they've come back. I mean, 
to me, what's really exciting about the guide, and the guide's pretty young in terms, I think it's 2009 is the first guide. Historically, and I've been, as you said, I've been following Italian wine for a really long time, right? A couple of decades now. There's always been this huge disconnect between the Italian wine media, the American wine media, the Italian wine media, and American wine culture. And I see uh, the slow wine partly because of its ethos and its youthful approach and its youthful culture. It's finally bridging that gap uh, uh, between, you know, when you look at, I'm not going to name any publications or name any editors' names, but when you look at some of the top 100 lists, sometimes young Italians are there scratching their head going, where's this wine and where's, why does this wine, it doesn't smell like wet dog. Uh, that's a very, you know, famous moment between, uh, uh, cr you know, uh, cross-culture, right? And I think that Slow Wine is bridging that gap and bringing it here, of course, gives people access not only to the wineries and the winemakers, but the overarching ethos, if you will, of what Slow is. I know you're excited about tasting a lot of wine today and you just got here, so we won't keep you long, but uh, any, any producers that you're particularly excited about tasting? Um, well, the buzz for me, I, 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 you know, I kind of base it on like how many emails. I get a ton of emails as I'm, you know, these tastings roll around. Everybody's been uh, bugging me. You gotta taste uh, Mesma uh, from uh, Gavi, if I'm not mistaken. So that'll be my first stop for the day. Uh, Jonathan, uh, I would like to have you kind of talk about the the guide and what 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 people who are visiting Italian wine country, what they'll see, uh, well, there are symbols, right? Can you explain a little bit of the symbols that you might find in the guide? Yes, I mean, to make the understanding easier of what kind of winery you, we are talking about, we sort of came up with three different symbols to, to highlight certain kind of um, approaches to winemaking. So we have, first of all, very simple, the coin, which stands for a great value for money and I mean that's quite simple to explain um, we have the bottle which is basically a symbol that indicates a great quality um, from a strict onagoleptic point of view so the tasting wise um, of all the wines throughout the range of the, the winery in question and then in the end we have the snail symbol which is the most important award that we give to a winery and it sums up sort of the quality philosophy of slow food so we as slow food um, usually put quality food quality in terms of uh, we say good clean and fair where clean stands for obviously sus sustainable agriculture and 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 sustainable production method um, good obviously very important you may never forget that wine first of all has to also taste good so wines need to be made in a proper way um, be tasty be healthy and 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 just all around uh, a pleasure to drink and then finally, the fair is a little more difficult to explain as a concept, but we also we like uh, producers to work um, in good collaboration with the community they live in, so um, to, to, to pay share, uh, fair money for their workers, to have uh, decent prices, so we don't, are not expecting producers to sell their wine at low prices, but we would like everyone to be able to afford uh, good wines, um, so, so that's the snail symbol basically. Wonderful. I might ask both of you um, and wrap up with this, where, where the industry is going. I mean, you, you have your finger on the pulse, both of you, Giancarlo and Jeremy. Um, do you see any sort of trends? Are we going more to indigenous grapes? Are we, you know, what, anything that you can kind of say that, that has changed maybe in the past few years of doing the guide? Giancarlo? 
Yeah, for us it's very important um, the origin uh, of the wines and also, yeah, also indigenous grapes very important in Italy because uh, is the, the the nations, the countries with more the the number um, big uh, biggest in uh, in the world. Uh, we we have like four hundred and more grapes that uh, um, uh, at the end are in the in the bottle. So. Uh, it's a very huge number and this is one of the, I think, the most important thing in, in, for the Italian analogy. But it's, it's not the, the only, uh, I think uh, Italian is, it, Italy is very um, strong also for the relationship between price and value. We have a lot of uh, artisan uh, winery that uh, work very well uh, with the good uh, also a good uh, agricultural practices and uh, also the price are not so so big and I think in in this event you can find also a very different terroir Italian terroir not only yes Piedmont and Tuscany but also other regions that are very important to to know because uh, some producers are very 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 good producers yeah, all 20 regions are being represented here, right? So, Jeremy, any, any kind of final thoughts and where, where the industry is going? Well, just that I think Italy in, in continues to emerge as a, white, a great white wine producer. Um, and I think when you come to a tasting like this, you see so much. I mean, it's no coincidence that the winery I'm the most excited about tasting is agave, uh, a white wine from Italy. Uh, so, I, you know, this tasting coming around through Texas and through America, you guys were in San Francisco and New York and, and Seattle this year, uh, ever expanding. It's showing, uh, again, the youthful culture, all the young sommeliers and wine professionals, wine directors, wine buyers, restaurant professionals, that Italy is a force for white wine. Excellent. Jonathan? Um, any kind of final thoughts for you? I mean, hopefully folks are going to, uh, you know, see the guide and have that direct them, um, you know, s wineries that are sustainable. We see higher quality as well. Uh, what, are, what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, that's what we're trying to do to obviously give these wines a chance to, to showcase their wines uh, here, but also to to promote our idea of, of what, wine, what wine quality really is. So I believe uh, consumers are, have been getting more conscious about what they're drinking uh, for many years now, uh, now and that I think will just keep going. So um, in the end, even if you know your product well, if you're conscious about what you're drinking, it can also give you more pleasure in, in, in enjoying it. So, I mean, we're really convinced about that. So if you give the proper information to consumers, um, it's not just good for the the, the people have to sell the wine, but the end consumer as well. That's the most important part. Excellent. Thank you, guys. We're going to go meet some producers and have fun at the tasting. Thanks. Thank you. All right. That was... Um Giancarlo, Jonathan, and Jeremy Parzin from uh, Slow Wine, and we had a wonderful time at the tasting. I got a, a fair amount of wonderful audio from producers from all over Italy, and over the next couple weeks we will be airing that, so I hope that you really look forward to that. Um, and, of course, you can find more information at slowwine.org. 
Um, I'd like to wrap up the show. Thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Mark Grayshep. It's been a fun show. We've had a lot of different kinds of audio here. And uh, and Adam Orman from Locadoro and the Mueller uh, was wonderful. Lasan Georgeson doing her Texas wine and, and music pairing. Um, and uh, next week we'll, we'll, we'll be hearing from uh, legendary wine importer Neil Rosenthal uh, on an interview that I did when he was in town. So, But before we go, I have to remind folks that support for co-op comes from Link and Pin Gallery, an artist-led space that offers the community an environment to discover, discover local art. The gallery is located at 2235 East 6th Street, Suite 102. And for more information, you can go to linkpinart.com. Well, that'll do us for, for today. We've uh, Tracy Schultz is in the house with Remix, and I'm sure it will be a wonderful show as it is every week. I, I love being part of this Tuesday uh, block under the X in Texas. Um, Tom Ashburn and the dark end of the street and Hilka doing wonderful things on the Andean Hour. Uh, so keep it tuned to co-op and uh, have a wonderful week, folks, and uh, enjoy some really lovely wines this week. And I'll leave you with Tracy Schultz, so stay tuned.